We are finishing here with Revelation 21 and 22. Man, it's almost surreal. I can't believe it. It's, I mean, this is it. This is the end of the Bible. We've walked through Revelation. And I'm combining these last two chapters. You know, I love Revelation. I love, may, partly because so many people are afraid of it. And I want to help people grab hold of the inheritance they have in Christ through the, through the scriptures. Revelation is such a wonderful capstone to God's perfect uh, inscripturated word to his people. And, you know, I love, in particular, these last chapters, they speak they speak so clearly to the first chapters in the Bible. Um, let me just give you one example of that. <clears throat> the, uh, the Bible starts with, it starts with creation, Genesis 1. Uh, and it ends with, in Genesis 22, it ends with a new creation. Genesis 21 and 22, what I'm talking about today. So it begins with creation and it, and it ends with a new creation. God making all things new through the work of Jesus. Um, the second thing that happens in the Bible is there's a wedding. God makes everything, and then He makes man and woman, and He and He and He and He makes a woman for the man, and He brings them together. And then He says, "Fill the earth with My image, and have fun doing it, and glorify Me, and enjoy Me, and enjoy each other." And that's the first wedding, and that's a that's a model for how all other weddings are supposed to be. I had a uh, a young man today asked me if, if polygamy was okay, and I took him to Genesis chapters one and two and said, "Hey, man, the first uh, the first wedding is the model for for how all all weddings ought to be." And uh, we talked about other things too, but uh, we talked about other reasons that polygamy is not God's best plan. But um, we have a wedding, and the second to last thing that happens in the Bible in Revelation twenty one. Is we see this, we see the new city, the new, the city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And that city is a bride. And we're going to talk about that. And, um, right before this, we see the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so there's this union of Christ, the Son of God, with, with the bride, with his bride, the church, that has been made spotless through his blood and been washed with the water of the word. And um, there's a sense in which I think I've said this before, but all of human history can be described as the father preparing a bride for his son. And uh, so you have the, the second thing that happens after creation in, in, in history of the Bible is a wedding. And that's a pointer to the second to last thing that happens in the Bible in Revelation 20, 21 is a, a wedding. And then. The third thing that happens in the Bible is you have the serpent come and screw everything up by tempting Eve and Adam knowingly takes the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and eats it as well. And we he, they plunge us, all that come from them, the whole human race and all creation into sin and corruption. And so that's the third thing that happens. And the third, the last thing that happens in in the Bible is in Revelation, I believe it's 19, is that uh, 19 and 20, but 19 is that you have uh, Christ defeating the dragon. He strikes the death blow, as it were, on the cross through death. 
he breaks the power of Satan, of the serpent, over the human race. The power of sin, the power of death, he defeats. But he consummates that victory in Revelation 19 and 20. And he throws Satan into the lake of fire and defeats him um, decisively. And and he's so so what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that the last chapters of the Bible speak to the first few chapters, and that's, a, that's called a ring structure or a chiasmus or a chiasm. It's a it's a it's a standard Hebrew literary device. Now, okay, yeah, the New Testament is written in Greek, but it was written by Jews. Okay, it's a Jewish first to last, it's a Jewish book. And it's a it's a it's a Hebrew literary device. Um that where it's basically like a, it's making of a literary document like a like a target. So the first, you know, you can see the, the concentric the concentric rings and the thing at the center is often the focus, the bullseye. Um, the first thing speaks to the last thing. The second to the, the second thing speaks to the second to last thing. The third thing speaks to the third to last thing. Um, what is it saying? It's saying there's a correspondence here. Between the first things in history and the last things in history before Christ returns and makes everything new. And then and then the rest of eternity starts with no death, no sin, where he renews all creation. And it's just a reminder that the the Bible, a couple of things, the Bible is written by one. It's written by 40 plus human authors, but but the one writing through them is God himself by his Holy Spirit. Carrying men along carrying the, the, the prophets and apostles of old along as as they wrote, writing, um, using their personalities and their proclivities and penchants and skills um, and, and writing through imperfect men his perfect word, like a stained glass window. That's B.B. Warfield's illustration. So giving us his perfect word through imperfect men that, he, that the Holy Spirit filled so it's it's through these human authors, but it's one author all along, and, and that's one of the things that this correspondence between Genesis one through three and, and the last few chapters of Revelation shows us is that it's one book with one story, whose hero, and person and theme that ties everything together, that everything converges on, and flows out of is Jesus. It's all it's all possible because of him. He takes care of the sin problem as the second Adam as the God-man, and he's taking us somewhere good. So the whole Bible's about him. He says this in Luke 24 and other places, Luke, uh, John 5, 39 and 40. And, and so, but the, the second thing this, is, this reminds us of and, or teaches us is that not only is the book written by one being, God himself, it's his word, but also it's history. The Bible claims to be and is vindicated over and over and over again as accurate history that actually God making all things and then and then entering into space and time to make and take a people for himself and to guide them along life's precarious way and then to save them and then here to make all things new and to bring them to himself. Um, That is a massive claim as a history book that God has choreographed all of human history because he's having he's showing us this correspondence of the end of history is speaking directly in a ring structure in a chiasm to the beginning of history 
And he's saying, all along, I've had this plan and I've worked it out perfectly through human sin and evil, through Satan, through all of it. God in his perfect power and sovereignty and providence through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, has orchestrated all these things. Amazing. He is the director of history. He is choreographing everything, even through evil and sin. And it's not making light of those things. I mean, the cross, if anything, the cross shows the great darkness and terror and horribleness of sin and of evil, how seriously God takes it. And yet he brings good out of it and he's in control. How wonderful. There's no other book like it. There's no other, no other ancient people had a, something that claimed to be the very word of God for the people of God with this kind of coherence. There are holy books, but nothing like this with this kind of narrative that claimed to be history with God making a people for himself. No. Um, and those that do, those religions now that do have that holy book like Islam, Mormonism, uh, they are imitations. They've come after Christianity and they're imitative. They, they claim to be either the next step, uh, but you can tell when you read them that they're accretions, they're perversions, they are, um, they're additions, um, and they're, and they don't belong with the scripture. So they're, they're imitations and Satan is the great imitator. So they're works of the evil one. Um, and, uh, so, so, I, you know, that really wasn't even part of the plan, but it's, a, it's just, it's wonderful to see how God closes out his book and how he's in control of, of history. Um, you know, Revelation 21 and 22, I guess the first point I want to mention is just the bride, the bride. Um, certainly not going to pull out everything in these two chapters. There's way, way too much, but just to pull out some highlights, um, and some, some threads that pull everything together and that are prominent. You know, we see in Revelation 21, the second to last chapter of the Bible, verse one says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And John says, verse two, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Here it is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's interesting. Um, the first point here being the bride, we see this city coming down out of heaven. The first time Jesus, that God came to dwell with his people, uh, he, as, as a human, he left heaven and he came down poor, incognito, crucifiable. So we could crucify him so he could defeat death and sin in our place, right? Uh, as our vicarious substitutionary sacrifice. The second time he comes, he comes in power and he brings heaven down and he comes to stay. He's not going back up. So our final destination is not heaven. If we are in Christ, it's it's earth. It's the remade creation. He's bringing heaven down. Um, if we die before Christ returns, we will go up to heaven, our spirits, but our bodies remain here in the earth. And when he comes again, uh, they will rise and he'll give us renewed bodies. Um, so. He's coming down and he's bringing heaven down with him and he's going to make all things new. And it's this picture. The, why, why do I say the bride? It's in the text. It's this picture of the city. It's called the New Jerusalem. It's a city coming down. Um, there's going to be a real city. And we'll get to that. A real civilization. A real country. Real creation. Every bit as real as Genesis 1. 
and perhaps more so. Uh, and C.S. Lewis gives a great picture of that reality and that, that, that substance and weight of the new creation in uh, his, his book or parable, The Great Divorce. Highly recommended. Um, but the city's called a bride in, the, in more than one place. And in fact, it kind of fills out chapter 21, Revelation 21. This bride, this city is described in ways that remind us it's the people of God. This, cause, cause the bride of Christ is the church and the church is the people. It's not a building. So the God's people is this city. What's going on? I think that what, what is suffusing this image that's a multi-layered image where God, John's giving us these multiple metaphors of it's a city, it's the new Jerusalem, it's a bride, which is the church and God's people. What's he saying? Saying that, look, what's going to permeate this new creation? is that we will be able to go no place without even the city itself is called the people of God. Like we won't be able to go any place. Um, it, there will be no place that is not directly connected to God through the person of his son, Jesus. Um, there will be this sense of union and intimacy that is in the best of marriages uh, that will far surpass the best of marriages in that sense of intimacy and union and satisfaction and in rich relationship that we have here on earth. That is just a whisper of what's coming. And it's going to suffuse the city and it's going to suffuse civilization and it's going to suffuse the new creation such that this city is actually called and is the bride of Christ, God's people. And everything is going to be characterized by the relationship God has with his people. I think he goes on, uh, I'll just pick up where I left off, to kind of say that in the next verse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, so it's saying that the city is a, the bride prepared for her husband, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In other words, it's just under, it's saying what I said, but in better ways. It's under, in God's perfect word, it's underscoring the fact that God is going to dwell with us. He's never going to leave us. He is going to be ours and we're going to be his. Can you imagine? And that has already begun through Jesus Christ's first coming, his first advent. You know, one of his names is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is a promise of this new creation coming. And so one, my systematics Professor and, and spiritual father Doug Kelly quotes a Greek Greek Orthodox theologian John Zeolos, and who's in saying that most of us uh, we we think about having roots in the past, but these last chapters of the Bible uh, suggest kind of give us a, an, another paradigm by which to see the world, and that is that believers also ought to understand they have roots in the future. If I can say that that we have roots in the future, we we. We are being pulled. This is our reality. This is coming. This is where we're headed. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and he is coming. And our we're going to have a name given to us that only Christ knows, that we're going to step into our real and true and fulfilled identity. And we're headed that direction. And that's going to help. That helps to, for us to live faithfully and to, to pull us through hard times. Um, and so the, the, the taste that we get now of God being with us and in us by his spirit through the work of Jesus Christ, having come the first time and, and, and lived a life that we should live but have not, in dying the death that we deserve to die on the cross in our place, and then rising. Um, 
that is a deposit of what's coming. It's like that's a drink. We're getting tastes of it now in this broken world and as broken and sinful people. But it's the day is coming where all that's going to be realized. And so I think that that's that's a, a beautiful picture in the bride that God gives us. And then the, the next verse, verse four, which I haven't read, um, I think is just this this amazing speak of beautiful pictures, this amazing picture, this little concrete detail. It says of what I've been talking about, the intimacy, the intimacy that's going to shoot like sun rays through this new creation. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Okay, there's so much in there. Look at this. Look at this. The tears. So everything you could think of that's bad. I mean, essentially, there's more, right? They didn't mention alligators or cyclones. But there's not going to be anything to mourn over anymore. You know, I was just at the funeral of of, of a friend whose son lost his 18-month-old son just out of nowhere. Totally healthy, died in his crib. I mean, the sound of his mourning, of his wailing cry, I've never heard anything like it. It was heartrending. And my friend, he's, he's, he's having to, he's having to mourn the loss of his grandson, but also he's having to see his son go through this. And it's like a double whammy. The mourning, there's not going to be anything to mourn anymore. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. And we get this beautiful picture. Of God himself, God himself, wiping away every single tear from the eyes of every single one of his people. He will take each of us to himself. What a tender image of a parent with a child. Dearly beloved, taking that child and every single thing that has caused us pain, he will attend to. He won't just gloss over and go like, it's good now. You have the new creation. Go romp around and have a good time. Forget about the old stuff. He's going to attend to every single thing that's caused us pain and go there with us and deal with it. And it'll be better than if it had never happened because of the comfort and compassion and tenderness that we will receive from our maker and our savior. (laughs) That is going to be the start of the new creation. And it's going to, it's going to shoot its way through everything moving forward in that new creation. Um, the last part of that verse says, for the former, th- there will be none, no more of this bad stuff. But in the words of Sam Gamgee, everything sad is going to come untrue. Um, for the former things passed away. So everything in human history up to this point is called the former things. The former things. Jesus says, uh, he says, a little bit later, he says, the first, those are the first, yeah, the first things have passed away. The first things have passed away. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of, sometimes it's translated first things. The former things have passed away. The first things. Those are just the, all human history is just the first things. And like C.S. Lewis says at the very end of his Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle, they step into the new creation and he says, it's, you know, it's like you're stepping into a story where every every page is better than the page before just gets better and better farther in and higher up is the cry of these children in Narnia as they enter into the new creation with Aslan and every bit, everything that's come before all of human history is simply like the cover and the title page of the greatest story that's ever told. And it's yet to be told and it's coming. And that's what Christ 
uh, came to bring us into and, and sacrificed himself to bring us into. So that's that's the bride, um, which leads us into the renewal. Secondly, um, the renewal. There is a debate uh, between scholars as to whether the new creation is going to be completely new, like the old is just wiped away and done away with and God makes something completely new, or whether it's going to be a renewal, a taking, like a, a taking of what is and, and getting rid of all the bad. Um, I tend to think because of the resurrection of Christ, the continuity of his body, he's the same Jesus, but with a, the resurrection body is like an, like an oak tree out of the acorn. It's the same organism, but it's, it's, it's better. It's more beautiful. It's stronger. Um, it's more complex. I tend to think that for that and other reasons, um, that the new creation is going to be, it's going, all, there's going, all the, like Augustine said, um, nothing that is good will not remain. There's not going to be anything that we miss because it's going to all, all, all the stuff in this life that's good that we love is going to be like seeds that grow full grown into these beautiful, beautiful trees. And so it's going to be a renewal, like the fire that doesn't just burn. It doesn't just burn everything and leave nothing so that there can be a total rebuild. It burns away that which isn't substantial. Wood, hay. So, but what, what happens to the things that remain that are substantial, that are done for Christ, that are in Christ, is like gold. When the fire is applied to gold at the forge, everything that's impure in that gold rises to the surface and then it's scraped away. It's purified. It becomes even better. Um, and I think that's what is spoken of here. But either way, it's this great renewal, this new creation. Um, it's real. In Revelation 22, you see this city. And in, in Revelation 21, at the end of Revelation 21, verses 24 and 25, you see kings and nations coming in and out of the city. It's a real city uh, with that's, that's really built with real structures and real streets and real, can I say this? I mean, coffee shop. All the Again, did I say nothing that is good will not remain? I mean, coffee shops, wineries, vineyards. You name it, right? Um, breweries. There better be breweries there. I, I love beer. Um, man, if it's good here, it's, but there's going to be no drunkenness, right? There's going to be no nothing, none of the sin that comes from having too much, being intemperate, having too much alcohol, etc. Um, but the cult, my, my point is the culture, the beauty that comes out of man's creativity, it's all going to be there perfectly forever. There will be no knowledge transfer um, because of death. You know, you have to, we have to start over, like, you start to actually know something at about the age of 40, and then by the age of 80, you're kind of done. And that's, that's best case. Not to mention the setbacks of heartache and loss and war and disease and your own sin. Not in the new creation. In the new creation, it's just all going, there's going to be no knowledge transfer. No, you're just going to continue to add and add and add and add on to knowledge and understanding and expertise and no one's going to die and, and you won't have to pass anything on. And think of all that we've been able to do, even with death and, and with history being the history of wars and our own selfishness um, and all the horrible things that have come from death and the curse. That's not going to that's going to be gone. So it's going to be like Tinker Toys, what we've made, what we've made now. And we've we've made a lot. We've we've been able to do a lot. That's going to be like Tinker Toys compared to what's coming. We're going to adventure. We're going to judge. Paul says uh, we were in D group 
uh, Thursday morning and looking at First Corinthians 6. And, you know, Paul reminds us we're going to judge angels. So why can't we figure out our own problems, Christians? Let's figure them out. Don't take them to a, to a, to a court of law that's like, figure them out. You're going to be judging angels. We're going to be judging, ruling, reigning, adventuring, exploring, building, making merry. It's going to be amazing. In a new create, we're going to be new, but the new creation is going to be new too. Creation, Roman, go read Romans 8. Creation is racked. It's racked in labor pains by the effects of sin. Just wait. Switzerland's going to be like, I mean, what, you go to Switzerland. My, my, my sister's going to the Italian Alps, the Dolomites, um, uh, soon this, this month to go on family holiday and they're going to go romp around and it's like, man, you think that's pretty just wait. God made that in six days and it's and it's corrupted by sin. Just he's been Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may also be. He's bringing that down. He's still working on it because he hasn't returned yet. Two thousand years later, it took him six days to make the whole create cosmos, which is corrupted by our sin and rebellion. A perfect creation that he's been working on for two thousand years. Oh. We can't even imagine the weight of glory that that awaits us. So persevere, persevere, my dear friend. It's worth every sacrifice. He's worth every sacrifice. Um, and there's this this river flowing through in, in in Revelation 21 in the last chapter from the throne. There's this river of life, which is a real. It takes us back to Ezekiel 47 and how the the sacrifice of Christ giving his life. Ezekiel 47, this, this water that flows out from underneath the altar of sacrifice refreshes and recreates, brings life to all the creation that's been racked by sin. And, and John hooks back into that and he says, that's going to go, it's going to be coursing through the middle of everything. The whole civilization is going to be this light, this river of life that comes from the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done that is going to, uh, replenish and restore and beautify every single thing. And on either, it's a really com, it's a really weird thing on either end, which leads me to the third, uh, point. On either, on either side of this river, like this river walk, if you can imagine, like in San Antonio, there's a river walk, but, but that's gonna, that's ugly compared to what's, what's coming. Um, there's gonna be, on either side, there's just this single tree. Have you ever seen a tree that's on either side of a river? I've never have. That's weird. What's going on? It, at the center of the civilization is this river. That comes out of it's it's a picture of the the life that comes from Christ laying his life down for us, taking it up again. And in the center of that, the most prominent place being fed by this river, there's this tree. And I think that's part partly what is meant by hey, it's on either side, a single tree, not two trees, one tree. It is and it's kind of a it's a layered image. John loves to layer these images, right? It's a it's a river, but it's a tree as well on either side of the river that bears. Twelve kinds of fruit for the healing of the nations. And so the healing of the nations isn't going to be like magic, I think. I think there's going to be a process to it where the nations will come in and the kings will come in and all the subjects. And there's going to be this natural progress of having our tears wiped away one by one, our problems addressed by the king and feeding off of this tree, the tree of life that we weren't able to get to the first time because of our disobedience through Adam and Eve. Now, through the tree of the cross and his, the second Adam, um, and what he did in conquering death and sin and Satan on that tree, uh, we will be able to come to that and 
from that tree and from his work on that tree will be able to to be healed, to find healing and to grow and to be restored. And what do I mean by tree? When you, when you talk about the cross as a tree, well, in in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke always refers to the cross as the cross or some sort of word in that semantic domain, the cross or crucifixion, um, crucified. But in the book of Acts, which Luke also writes, it's like the second part of Luke, um, he always, the, tr- the cross is always referred to as the tree. He died on a tree. Cursed is, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Why? And I think it's because, um, because a, a, a cross is dead wood. But, but in hanging on that dead wood, on that instrument of death, Jesus, through his death, in giving his life to us, brought life. He brought life to us and indeed to all creation. And creation is lo- eagerly waiting for the redemption of the sons of men through Jesus. And so he he brought life through death. And so the, a tree is li- a living thing. And it's through the cross. It's going to be at the cent. This cross is going to be at the center of this new creation. It's only because of the cross and Christ's work in his life and death and resurrection that any of the new creation is going to be possible where this, where we are going to be reconciled with our God in such intimacy, intimacy and satisfaction that we are going to be, his people will be as a bride prepared for him. The satisfaction and joy and intimacy between us and God and then among us because of our relationship with God, our relationship with with each other will just be everything that we've always longed and dreamed for and beyond, so far beyond. And that's going to permeate creation. So that's the tree. Um, Thirdly, the bride, the renewal of creation and and the the tree. Um, And, you know... We're called to conquer in these chapters. We're reminded by John that we must conquer and overcome um, and persevere and endure suffering and carry our cross. And, uh, and, you know, does that mean that we have to behave and live perfect lives and, and be good little boys and girls? No, it means that it means that that trusting in Christ makes you a new creation and that actually matter it actually changes the way that you live you're you're no longer characterized by cowardice faithlessness detestableness murder sexual immorality sorcery idolatry i'm reading from this list in revelation 21 here revelation 21 verse 8 lying that you know christ brings us out of those things it's not that we don't still do those things some but they don't characterize us anymore um, and verse 14 is what I'll finish with in Revelation 21, or 22, I should say, sorry. Um, and that is this, blessed are those who wash their, so there's this call to conquer and this call um, to live different in the world and to pick up our crosses and to follow him and to suffer with him and, and to courage and to faith and to trust um, and to love our enemies and to forgive and to speak truth and to serve. And to do good work, honestly, for God and not for men. Our lives should look different. Our lives should shine like light in a dark place. Our lives should be salty, like salt 
on a bland dish. Um, so is that God saying, hey, just do good works and be saved? No. Verse 14, one of the last verses of the Bible. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Wash, okay? Wash their robes in what? The blood of Christ. The, it's, it's the oxymoron. Blood makes us clean. Blood actually purifies. Blood normally stains the heck. If you get blood on a piece of clothing or on a carpet, man, my wife, whew, she's, she's upset because it's stained. The blood of Jesus doesn't stain, it washes. It's the only thing that can cleanse us from sin, and it can cleanse any sin. It's stronger than anything we have ever done or can do. God's blood shed for us cleanses from all sin. So blessed are those who wash their robes. A robe is something that's put on you. You don't gin it up. It's put on you. You know, trusting in Christ means that his righteousness is ours, and his blood washes us from all stain. So that they, so blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So washing in the blood of Christ through faith in him and what he's done for us, um, it, it, it allows us, it, it gives us the right to live, to eat from the tree of life and to be healed. We, uh, we step into the rights of, of the Son of God. We are, un- we are united with him, given his righteousness, credited with his righteousness, with his goodness, with his justice. And he takes our sin and washes us, cleans us, and makes us like him over the course of our lives. Um, and when we see him, we shall be made like him. So every right that Jesus, the Son of God, has, we have as we are united to him by faith. Um, and that is one of the things that finishes this beautiful book. And, um, you know, we are, but, but the, the fact remains, we're called to conquer. There's a real, there's a real price to be paid. Christ demands all of us, all of us for all of, gives us all of himself and demands all of us. And, uh, my friend just, my friend who's a pastor in Austin just, just texted a bunch of us and just gave us pictures of these four Sudanese pastors who right now, even as I speak, are being held in a prison in Sudan, Sudan. Um, by Muslim captors, and they had their heads shaved last night. Uh, they're they're in a prison because of they're preaching the gospel, and they had their heads shaved with glass shards last night, and they haven't had any food or water, and they are going to kill them if they don't renounce Christ. And so we're praying for them, and they are they are counting the cost. Um, and there is a cost. There's a price to be paid, and I know nothing of that, but every single Christian is called to give. I mean, our lives are no longer our own. We've been bought at a, at a price. We've been bought at a price. Um, and so we're called to endure. We're called to conquer because he has conquered for us and given his life for us, and we truly have nothing to fear. Um, and this is where we're headed. We are rooted in this new creation, and it's pulling us. it's pulling us forward. Um, so the Christian ought to not only look back to what Christ has done, um, but look ahead to where we're, where we're headed and where, and the fact that he's coming again to be with us and to wipe away our tears and to make all things new. Um, behold, I am making all things new. That's a, that's in Revelation 21. It's what Jesus says to us. It's not one day. It's now. The minute you trust in Christ, uh, you become a new creation in Christ and, and, and the work of new creation goes out from his children, those who are born again through faith in him into, into this world. 
um, as we as we build his kingdom by preaching the gospel and living uh, living lives of, of obedience through faith. So God bless you all. It's been a, it's been a fun journey. I pray that this book encourages you and blesses you as opposed to just making you scared. Um, and uh, I pray that you see that Christ is indeed the hero of, of it and of history. Um, brother, sister, I'll see you one day. God bless you.